Hello, America. I'm Robert Reese, and welcome to CEO Show. We're here today with Stephanie Herzog. How are you, Stephanie? I'm great, Robert. Thanks for having me. And Stephanie is the CEO of Sodexo Energy North America. Talk about what that is, and I'll let you know in advance. Sodexo is one of the great companies. Years before, now you hear DEI, Sodexo was doing that. So just talk about what the organization and the organization you lead is. Yeah, so Sodexo does facilities management services, which includes food, like your company cafeteria, as well as um, soft services and hard services, so janitorial, mailroom, move coordination would be soft services, hard services would be electrical, HVAC, uh, elevators, escalators, all the things around your facility that you don't really want to take care of, we will do for you. And in energy and resources, that means that we handle um, the traditional corporate office towers for our energy clients, but also chemical plants, refineries, offshore platforms, remote mining camps. Um, so a real variance in, uh, in types of facilities. Yeah, and that was really your background was in energy and you came into Sodexo. So what did you learn? What was it like when you came in? Yeah, you know, I joined Sodexo two years ago. I've had 25 years in the energy services space. Um, but I did not come from facilities management. And I will tell you, this business is all about people. Um, we don't have tech, you know, we don't have, we have some, but we don't have a lot of technology or fancy equipment that we can build to our clients. It's people. And so it's really the core of our business. Yeah. And a lot of people, 470,000 actually globally, right? So, so let's talk about that. It's all about people. What have you seen in terms of how the workplace has been redefined over these past couple of years? Well, specifically with COVID, right, that has turned, certainly turned our world upside down. I mean, we, our frontline are just heroes. I mean, every facility, we had to completely rethink everything we do. I mean, you think about the buffet in the cafeteria is now no longer um, being, nobody wants to, to share utensils or come and pull food out where someone else has been. But, you know, in the early stages of COVID, where we really didn't know how it was transmitting, you know, janitorial needs went through the roof, right? We had to be super um, thorough and just a whole nother level of cleanliness that, that, that our clients expected and needed. And where a lot, of, a lot of us had the luxury of working from home, my employees didn't, and a lot of the sites that we service didn't. So chemical plants and refineries continue to be operational, Mining camps and offshore platforms continue to be operational throughout the entire pandemic. So we really just had to, to adjust, work with our clients, listen to what they wanted. I mean, every geography was even a little different, right? Depending on what was happening with COVID in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. So Stephanie, as, as you went through that, there are probably a lot of lessons you learned from management with no more buffets, everything changing, you're, you're, you're focusing on janitorial. How do you manage that whole workplace and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I think communication was absolutely the most important thing. And, you know, again, remember at the beginning, just trying to make sure we could source PPE for all of our sites and the hoops that we had to go through. So, you know, we went from we had daily seven day a week calls. I had calls with my region around, you know, again, supply chain, those those sorts of things that were handled regionally. And then with my teams making sure that they felt supported, that if they had emergency needs, that we were there to help them. 
Um, I mean, it really was around communication and also with our clients. So making sure that our front line was having that sort of daily communication with the clients as well with an ever-changing landscape. So Stephanie, when you, when you look at your leadership philosophy, what were the discussions and what were the influences that really shaped that leadership philosophy? Yeah, you know, I, um, I grew up in Pasadena, Texas, on the southeast side of Houston, very industrial part of town. My father was an engineer. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. She'd been a teacher before she had me and then couldn't imagine anyone else taking care of me but her. Um, but even growing up in that very traditional family, I was encouraged from a very young age that I could do anything. And so I've, I've never, I mean, both both my mother and father, you know, encouraged me to pursue engineering. They saw I liked math and science. They said, you can do anything you want. You can do anything you put your mind to. So some of the things I think that girls traditionally hear at a young age, I just didn't hear in my house. Um, it was very much, uh, you, can, you, can do, you can do any of it. And I think that has stuck with me through growing as a leader. I, I try very hard to be a very empathetic leader. But I've also reflected on the bosses that I've had through my career and tried to emulate those. I've had some really wonderful, by the way, I've never had a female supervisor. So I've only had male role models to look to. But I have had some great male empathetic leaders in my life, and I have had some that were not so much. And so taking learnings from each of those stages in life and, and trying to emulate that. It's really become, in today's world, a war for talent. You are known, since you are, you're saying, people-oriented. What do you do to get the best talent? Are there any lessons that CEOs could learn? Well, look, I, I don't think anybody feels like an expert in the war for talent right now. It's, it's really challenging um, just trying, trying to recruit talent. I think the other lens, so there's a Sodexo lens, but there's also an energy lens. And with the energy transition upon us, um, more than ever, we need the best and brightest people coming to our industry. And yet, you know, I had a young engineer ask me the other day, is energy the new tobacco industry? Like, should I really be considering going into that space at all? And so I think it is a real challenge for our industry. You mentioned Sodexo's um, focus on DEI. I, I do believe that in energy, we have historically not been very good at DEI. And so I think there is a lot of unta untapped talent for us out there that can help help with that scenario. But in order to attract and retain that talent, we've got to create much more inclusive environments uh, for, for people to come to work. And when you talk about an inclusive environment, let's take two different elements there. Number one is we now have a five-generation workforce. So how do you deal with multi-generational? And the second part is generalist and specialist, because you've been in a business where there were it was strictly really specialist has that changed at all the the millennials and the gen z that are coming up i mean look when i graduated from college i tell everybody i took the best job the best job was defined as the one that paid the most when i talk to kids coming out of college today pays on their list you've got to pay fairly but they're much more concerned about do we have a purpose as a company how will it be to work at this company? What will my work environment be like? And so I think we've, as an, as an industry, we have got to, we've got to start preaching the message around our purpose. 
um, and, and, and get away from, you know, oil and gas is dirty and bad to, look, we need a lot of forms of energy to have affordable, accessible energy for the world. And we play a vital role in that transition and doing that responsibly. And so, you know, I try to encourage young people today, look, being inside, you'll be able to make more change than sitting outside. And so come join us and, and help with that. And so, like, I think, again, I think with the, with the younger generation coming up, they just view the work, they view their work differently. Um, and then uh, the second part of your question, remind me again, that was, oh, generalist and specialist. I think as we've, with our clients, we tend to have multiple product lines. So we'll tend to do, for example, soft services and hard services. And while you're not going to take your HVAC repair guy and send him out to mop the floor, we do get some synergies around our management staff. And so you do need to have management teams that understand both businesses and can efficiently run both both businesses. Um, food is a different element, right? And that's a diff- it's more of an artsy um, offering. And so it has a different criteria to it, but tra- continuing to train our employee base um, where they can speak to all of those and manage all of them effectively helps us be more efficient. And, and now probably the question most important, dearest, nearest and dearest to my heart is, being a woman and advice, because there are way too few women CEOs. What have you learned in becoming a woman CEO, especially in an industry, you know, like energy that has been completely male dominated? Yeah, you know, Robert, I, I, like I said, I've been in energy services my entire career. Before coming to Sodexo, I was very used to being the only woman in the room, uh, particularly when it came to operations. And so, I, I, I kind of got used to it. It's It's been very refreshing to be at Sodexo, and I'm now rarely the only woman in the room. And it's not just gender diversity, but we have racial diversity. We have, we have. I mean, if you look at the picture of our regional leadership committee, I, I laugh, it looks like a Benetton ad, if any of you are old enough to remember the Benetton ads. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture, and it, it, it does create a much more inclusive place to work. Um, my advice for, for women coming into the industry there's usually a few pieces of advice that I give. One is raise your hand, make sure people know that you want to be promoted, that you can take on responsibility, more responsibility, put your name in the hat. So um, I'll tell you a story. I graduated from Harvard Business School. I was on the alumni board there. We're about to take a commercial break. And when we come back, you are going to tell that story. And more so, we're going to hear Stephanie did something that no other CEO out of a thousand I've interviewed has ever experienced. You'll find that out back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese on The CEO Show, where we interview the CEOs who have reinvented the fabric of America. We're here today with Stephanie Herzog, who is the CEO of Sodexo Energy North America. So, you were going to tell a story about when you graduated. Yeah, it was actually after I graduated, I was on the alumni board at Harvard Business School, and we were looking at the admittance data. And they showed us the percentage of male and female applicants that had been admitted to the school, and we accepted a higher percentage of the female applicants. And so one of the male board members raised his hand and said, are we lowering the bar so we can get more women in the class? And the admissions director, who is fantastic, responded without missing a beat, no, our average female applicant is more qualified than our average male applicant. And so, you know, what I see is that, and this is broad generalizations, but women, we tend to look at the list of 
requirements for a job or to get into business school. And if we don't meet every box, we don't put our name in the hat. And the many of the men that, again, gross generalizations, but many of the men that have worked for me, you know, they meet two of the 10 boxes and they've put their name in the hat. Um, and so I think as women, we've got to be a bit more bold and put ourselves out there and make sure people know that we want that promotion. And so that kind of raise your hand, make yourself known is, is the first piece of advice that I give women. Um, the second piece is really for anybody, but if you want to be, but I think women get, have a harder time sometimes getting that CEO spot. You really have to get P and L responsibility. You've got to have had profit and loss responsibility at some point in your career. And women often get put, pushed into support roles and, and we perform. And so we move pretty high up in the company in strategy or sales or marketing or some of the other functions. But if you haven't gotten that P&L responsibility, it's really hard to get into the C-suite. And the longer you wait to do that, the harder it is to make that transition over because people don't want to, they don't want to take the chance to give you, to give you that big of a P&L, for example. So you know, I have a vice president that has um, wants to move into operations, but to give her a VP of operations role without having had some experience at the district manager role or the, even the general manager role is quite a step change. And so I encourage women to try to get that experience. And, and or if you get if you get pushed into a support function, that could be a great developmental opportunity for you. Make sure you're having a conversation of how you make your way back how you make your way back into the operational roles. It's great advice. And that's what I've heard from the from the top CEOs is you have to have the P&L and you have to raise your hand because if you don't, women will wait until they have 90%. And once they have 90%, it's almost like when they get the job, they're overqualified and they seem unmotivated. So they don't get the job. It's a double-edged sword. Everyone listening in, that's what you have to do. Raise your hand and also get P&L experience. Now I wanna shift over to the personal side. And I mentioned that you've gone through a challenge that no CEO out of a thousand I've interviewed has ever gone through. It was, the date was December 10th, 2017. Talk about that. Yeah, so I, uh, I, sudden, I suffered sudden cardiac death which means that my my heart got in a in a in an unusual rhythm, which caused me to collapse. Um, they so I technically died. My, fortunately, my husband was home. He was in the next room, and he heard me go down. He didn't know what had happened, so he hollered out. When I didn't respond, he came in there and found me, and so immediately started CPR. I have two children. At the time, they were eleven and six, and so the eleven year old called nine one one. Um, I went under CPR for somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. I got the paddles multiple times. Nobody really can say how many, um, was ambulatory transported to the hospital, spent, um, several days, uh, unconscious and they were dark days for my family and my friends. They, they, they really didn't think I was going to make it. And if I did pull through, they were pretty certain that there would be some brain damage or, you know, who knows? Um, but miracle of miracles, I uh, came out of that. I spent a couple of weeks in the hospital and then some time recovering after I got home. When I first got home from the hospital, I couldn't go from, I just, as I'd laid in bed for 
two weeks, I couldn't go from lying down to sitting up um, without help and assistance. So yeah, it took a, took a little time to recover from that, but uh, definitely having a, a near-death experience changes your perspective on life. So this is the first time I've ever asked this question. To any CEO, having died already and come back to life, what has that taught you specifically in your approach towards being a CEO? Yeah, look, I think when you've had an experience like that, it, first of all, you just take life with a different um, outlook uh, as the easiest way to say it. You know, it takes a lot to stress me out. And that's that's generally been my nature most of my life. I, you know, things happen, I take them, I stay calm, we work through it. Um, but when you have something like that happen, it kind of puts everything in perspective. Like, well, it could be worse, I could be dead. <laughs> so, you know, you just... Uh, you know, I think I have a pretty even keel with my team. We have challenges. We face them. I don't, you know, I don't get super upset about them. I never, I mean, I don't yell at people unless things get really bad, Then, you know, but it, it, just to have a more even keel style um, and just putting everything in perspective. And, you know, I, a lot of people, I think, thought I wouldn't go back to work. I think they thought you'd have this near-death experience and say, oh, I'm just going to stay home with my children and I'm going to you know, but that, that actually didn't really ever cross my mind. I love to work. I, it's, it's a huge part of who I am is my professional life. Um, I love my kids too, and I adore them. And I just try to spend as much time doing all the things I love. Um, but I, you know, it just, it never really occurred to me to take that step back. It was more like, I have the opportunity to continue to be here and contribute. And, um, and I will say that maybe, you know, it's hard to disseminate. That happened in 17. I joined Sodexo in 19. Over the last sort of three years, I've become much more vocal about women and energy and promoting that cause. And so maybe that's my way of feeling like I'm giving back is continuing to, to, to promote that cause and to be, to be out there. And on that note, Stephanie, I'd like to say thank you. What a pleasure it is having you as a guest on the CEO show. It was great to be here, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. And women, remember this. Number one, throw your hat in the ring. And number two, get PL responsibilities. Once we do that, we are going to have more women CEOs. And this is not just a social issue. This is an economic issue because we need the best talent at the top. Great having you on the CEO show, Steph.